Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier. I'm here, as always, with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Looking forward to the discussion today. Uh, Thank you all for listening in. Uh, We are going to have a cool conversation uh, around exercise and insulin sensitivity. Um, We're going to single out the men here in the beginning, but don't worry for all of our faithful female listeners as well. Uh, We're going to talk about a new uh, digital resource that we've created to help get a handle on how to uh, figure out whether or not you do have some insulin resistance and why or why not fasting may be working or just kind of talk through the different options and things like that as well. So you're going to have an opportunity to find that in today's show notes. So uh, I'm excited, Tommy. I This is something that I had not seen before uh, in terms of a study, and they actually say this in the limitations of the study section, mm-hmm. um, that, this, that there hasn't been a study that's looked at this specific um, type of situation comparing exercise, um, uh, b- being be- comparing the morning versus afternoon exercise kind of regimens. Yeah. And, you know, with respect to insulin uh, resistance and insulin sensitivity, it's, it's a really cool angle. Uh, I agree. I haven't seen this uh, done in any other studies as well. So this was, this is very new uh, information seen like um, through a rigorous scientific means. Um, but at the same time, uh, makes sense to me on an intuitive basis, but it's nice to see that the data that backs up uh, some of the things that, um, you know, that we're observing. Yeah. And this is new too. So this is January of 2021 out of physiological reports. Um, and it was exercise training elicits superior metabolic effects when performed in the afternoon compared to the morning in metabolically compromised humans. So there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. Um, If you're new to the podcast uh, or if you've been listening for a while, uh, we appreciate y'all. If you're new, uh, what we typically do is we'll pick a research article or something from our challenges or conversations or real life applications that we've experienced. And we try to distill it down to one or two actionable things that you can do around fasting, the fasting lifestyle, um, how to use intermittent fasting for weight loss, all these different subsets of conversations. So uh, when we start an article or we start a, an episode off like today, uh, we're going to break down the study and then we'll break down how it applies. And today, I'm all, like I mentioned previously, just a few moments ago, I'm also excited to talk about the insulin assessment, um, which is a two page PDF that you guys can download and um, apply into your day to day as well. So back to the exercise training, um, eliciting a superior metabolic effect. Tommy, I want to break down kind of what took place in the study. Um, so to begin with, and then we'll break it down into the, into the actionable things and how it applies um, to fasting and why fasting is superior, in our opinion, for undoing insulin resistance <clears throat> and allowing uh, the weight to come off for good and health 
you know, in terms of long-term metabolic metrics to improve. Right. So here, um, really to start the conversation, we're going to talk about metabolic processes that are regulated by your circadian rhythm or your hypothalamus, which is kind of your central clock, right? So you've got things that are affected by your light and dark cycles, your peripheral clocks. Um, so the stuff outside of the brain or the hypothalamus is going to be your liver, your skeletal muscle, and your fat tissue, your adipose tissue. And these are the three things, and we're going to land the plane here with a major takeaway from the study uh, on how the difference timing and exercise affected the liver, skeletal, and adipose tissue in regards to insulin sensitivity. Insulin sensitivity is the opposite of insulin resistance. Insulin resistance can be seen as weight loss resistance and all of the other symptoms that you can go and download in that PDF. So full picture here, the time of day can affect your exercise capacity and performance and your glycemic profile. So this study was done in type 2 diabetics and metabolically Uh, the terminology that they used was metabolically compromised humans. That's a little aggressive to me. So we'll go with uh, blood sugar issues in men. How's that sound? Yeah, it sounds good. And these were uh, both overweight and obese men. uh, So a greater than 26 uh, for their BMI and average age was, uh, was 59 in the study. So good to know. Yeah. A couple limitations, smaller study. um, And they, they openly admit that as well. And it was looking at a secondary analysis, um, looking at 12-week aerobic and resistance training programs. So they were looking at things like VO2 max, blood lipids, so cholesterol levels, and liver fat, things that are related to your liver enzymes and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in those those categories that you had mentioned, Tommy, uh, in the men that were had a, a BMI greater than 26 to 35. So smaller study, but it was cool because they looked at the difference between exercise sessions between 8 and 10 a.m. versus the 3 and 6 p.m. And they didn't really do anything to change their dietary habits. They said, just stick with what you're doing. And what we want you to do is add in supervised exercise programs three times a week. And there were two 30-minute cycling sessions and one resistance training session consisting of three sets of 10, so so low repetitions, really looking at targeting those big, larger muscle groups. Yeah. Um, and the primary outcome was the insulin sensitivity and secondary outcomes were looking at more of like the exercise performance and body composition changes, which we right. know are important for long-term health. Yeah. And, and what I really liked about this study was, you know, just three exercise sessions during the week. So it's, it's not like they were exercising every single day. And they didn't have to exercise forever to do this. And so um, just looking at the design of the study, I, I almost, uh, I didn't expect there to be, you know, very uh, dramatic results, you know, very dramatic difference between the two groups and, and, you know, exercising in the morning versus exercising at night. Um, I've done both. I never really like noticed a, a very big difference, but I didn't have data to, to back that up uh, either. And so um, it, it's, it's really cool to see the results of the study too. You actually just said something there that I'd never thought about. Um, and that is that I despise working out in the morning. I am an afternoon evening guy all day, yeah. every day, even when I was doing the power lifting and the, the Olympic lifting and the, you know, the heavy three, four, five, six hundred pound, uh, you know, I never reached 600 pounds in, in my, uh, in my squat, but that was the goal. Lift, yeah. at, 
Yeah, that was the goal at one point. So even in my heavy lifting days, I always did much, much, much better in the afternoon. And I hadn't thought about that until you just mentioned your your history here. So yeah, um, go ahead. You know, I I also there there was there were several years there where I was getting up at four a.m. four thirty, so I could hit the gym like first thing in the morning and. And I thought that that was actually the ideal way to do it. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe that's just because a lot of high performers uh, do that, like with a super early uh, workout, just starting the day. And, and I, I liked where, where it put me mentally. But uh, to your point, physically and performance-wise, I, I thought I was underperforming. You know, like there was never enough coffee to kind of get me to the right. to the same place of, of like an afternoon or more of an evening kind of energy level for, for my workout. Yeah, I, I agree. There's definitely a mental, um, for some people, there's a mental clarity and a euphoria that comes with getting the, the exercise out of the way, right? Versus the, oh, I'll yeah. do it after work. And then, you know, the, the <laughs> I'm sure That's there's tough. research or studies out there yeah, that yeah. back up the, uh, the, oh, I'll just work out after work and whether or not that actually happens compared <laughs> to just heating it out of the way in the morning. So right. not the point of this conversation, but I really want to specifically look at the the outcome measures here. And um, the cool part about this was it, it's there was a couple of takeaways. One, uh, for the women listening, uh, we are going to talk about insulin resistance and, you know, uh, hip measurements and then a weight to height ratio, which is related, I think, uh, a better metric compared to, you know, measuring using BMI as a health uh, health relational kind of component or a health metric. Right. even though there is some, uh, you know, some good points to, to the BMI chart. But when we're looking at the conclusions of this study, the, the, the main things that I mentioned earlier was the peripheral insulin sensitivity. So that's meaning the insulin sensitivity, your body's ability to get and process and the food that you ingest and turn the fat burning process on and the weight loss process on, right? So insulin resistance is the opposite of insulin sensitivity. And the three tissues that the study looked at was the skeletal muscle, the fat cells themselves, and then the, the, uh, the liver tissue, right? So your, Mm -hmm. your liver as a storage uh, or a, a energy factory to be able to produce glucose or sugar when it's needed. So, um, when we looked at these metrics, as well as fasting plasma glucose, so looking at your blood sugar levels in a fasted state, there were greater improvements when training was performed in the afternoon than compared to the morning. And specifically, Tommy, you were kind of blown away by those numbers in the fact that there was such a large difference uh, just by shifting that workout timing from the morning to the evening. Yeah, like the the amount of difference is significant, uh, significant improvements in in all three of those, um, you know, in the performance metrics and the blood metrics, but also um, the you know the the actual changes in the blood metrics for the morning workout. If you have insulin resistance, it was actually those those workouts were actually taking you on the wrong side of the equation. They were making those things a little bit worse, at least temporarily. Whereas the afternoon workouts were actually bringing you to the positive, to the improvement side of it. Um, so, th- I mean, that's substantial because if you are experiencing um, insulin resistance right now, let alone pre-diabetes or diabetes, um, every, everything that you can do in your favor to get higher insulin sensitivity. And, and you know, this is why we, we talk about insulin sensitivity a lot. 
um, and an insulin friendly lifestyle. Each little thing is important um, because they all add up and, and doing everything that you can throughout the day to increase your insulin sensitivity is, is a really beneficial thing. Yeah. So if you guys have been using, you know, we, we did a few uh, episodes on walking and how it can blunt blood sugar spikes post ingestion of food, mm-hmm. even just walking in general has, has good, you know, overall health metrics long-term. It, it's easy if you, if you're not a big workout person and you want to get the, the greatest benefit using fasting and, ado- and adopting insul- uh, intermittent fasting and time restricted feeding, however you want to word it. But this was, <clears throat> this was really, really interesting as um, the main marker, which is the insulin mediated plasma, the, the main marker of insulin sensitivity in your fat cells was, um, was incredibly increased in the afternoon compared to the morning. So the net change between the two was, was almost 10%, right. Of yeah. an increased insulin sensitivity in the afternoon. And it, directly related to your fat cells, that's important because that's part of the leptin and insulin resistance problem of the weight loss issues. When you have insulin resistance, it's harder to lose weight um, right. when you're when when you have that resistance component. So um, I also like that you saw a greater decrease in fat mass and body fat percentage. So never mind like the uh, the increases in maximum power output. I always felt weak and tired in the morning, even though I would do my workouts. So, um, you know, it, it was cool to see that from a big picture perspective, we just zoom out and maybe you've hit a plateau or you're new to fasting or you know you have some insulin resistance, you've got blood sugar, you've got diabetes, simply just shifting. And again, you mentioned it. 30 minutes a day, two cardio-based workouts and one resistance training. I would almost say, you know, do two and two. Sure. Right. So just kind of rotate every other day. You're going to see a 10% increase in your insulin sensitivity just by moving your workout to 3 to 6 p.m. And I love how it taps into kind of one of the super systems like the circadian rhythm and the hypothalamus and and just all those additional uh, long-term yeah. health benefits that come with it too. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And, and what we also know already is that your insulin sensitivity is worse later on in the day. So, you know, it, it, it starts off, there, there's an interesting thing that happens with our circadian rhythms and our, and our insulin levels, as well as our, our glucose when, whenever we wake up in the morning. And, you know, basically we have a, we have a rush um, to kind of get us up and at them in the morning, um, kind of like, energize and fuel the body uh, to get going. But, you know, as we go throughout the day, we know that the same meal ingested later on in the day will have a, a greater effect and a worse effect on blood sugar and, and insulin. So, uh, you know, I'm going to theorize here that some of these greater effects that we're seeing the greater improvements uh, in the afternoon exercise may be related to, um, you know, how much, how much of an, uh, of an effect it can have um, because, like you have the opportunity for, for a, a greater improvement uh, in the afternoon time versus uh, in the morning time. So it's just, it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm glad to see some, some numbers put to some of these things because I, I've just never seen some of these numbers before. Yeah. Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second and tell you just an incredible story about an amazing company that we've come across recently. Um, and now they are a sponsor of our show. It's airdoctorpro.com. You can head to the website, use a promo code uh, fasting for life to receive up to $300 off. But most importantly, uh, my little guy, my two-year-old has not slept consistently through the night. 
uh, since he was born. We have tried everything you can imagine. He is our third child. And we're just like, what is happening? So we have gone to great lengths, time, money, and effort to figure out um, how we can help him sleep. And uh, the reality is uh, we were pretty much just resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to be until we put the Air Doctor Pro in his room. And I am not joking when I tell you the first night that we put it in his room, he slept through the night. The second night, slept through the night. Now we're up to 35 plus days that he has slept through the night. He has only woken up two times, rather than two, three times a night, two times in the last 35 days and counting. And we are just so incredibly grateful. The reality is uh, we had a feeling that it was something that we were missing. And the indoor air, air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air these days. In some cases, up to 100 times more. We spend 90% of our time indoors. And we take 20,000 breaths a day. So what's the solution? An air purifier, a cut above the rest. I'm not going to lie. We have tried others. We've tried other HEPA filters. We've tried other air filters. We have spent the money and they have not done the results that Air Doctor did in literally the first day that we put it in his room. They filter out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants. That includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. So I don't know what it was that was keeping them up but it is now gone. So Air Doctor comes with a 30-day Breathe Easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com. Use promo code FASTINGFORLIFE to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. An exclusive listener um, offer for you as well. You'll receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. That's exclusive to you, the podcast listener, now hearing this in real time. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code fasting for life. You guys know that we are very particular with who we partner with. And if it wasn't for this incredible company and this, the incredible results that we've seen, I would not be encouraging you to head to the website and take advantage of the fasting for life promo code. So if you support our sponsors, you are ultimately supporting us. We are grateful for you listening in. And now back to today's episode. They, they, two things I want to hit on. One is the male-female. Um, the fact that this study was specifically uh, geared towards, towards men. They, they did mention that it was a smaller sample, sample size. But they did say here, um, additionally, our investigation only included males and cannot be generalized to the entire population, of course. Although similar training-induced metabolic adaptations, regardless of exercise timing, have been reported in adult males and females. So this has not been overly exhausted or studied in humans, um, right. but they're considering that the subjects, you know, overall, the overall, like, uh, uh, benefits definitely show um, the ability to you know, in, in terms of like a long distance relationship kind of applied to the general population. Um, so I would go with based off of what they're saying, um, they're, they're, they, they're acknowledge the limitations, but also that the, uh, the depth or the, the, um, breadth of the improvements in the afternoon, are really looking at the fact that this is going to benefit most people, regardless of, of the male female distinction. Yeah. And um, they, 
I'm excited because this is, seems to be a new direction that's being taken when we're looking at insulin resistance and the insulin or the carb insulin model of obesity. Mm-hmm. And we've done some podcast episodes on that too. But tell me, I want to make sure after all of the conversations and the metrics and wow, this is great. Look at these men crushing it. You know, these type two diabetics, <laughs> they've got blood sugar issues. How yeah. does this apply to the intermittent faster? How does this apply to the general population? Well, I love the fact that they mentioned insulin sensitivity and resistance. And that's one of the things that we talk at length about in terms of why fasting is so powerful, because it is able to decrease your insulin, allow your satiety hormones and the hormone levels to balance out over time and your hunger cues go down and you're able to get a better handle on your relationship with food and your cravings and you get the weight off faster, you start feeling better, the health then comes on the back end. And that's why we really, um, you know, after one of the biggest questions we get is, well, how do I know if I have insulin resistance and then what do I do about it? That's where the insulin assessment kind of comes into play. Yeah, because, um, you know, for, for most folks, uh, we, we just have the scale. The scale is kind of the, the shiny object that gives us a, that spits out a, a metric, you know, a number that we can use to track and to understand um, you know, if we're, if we're on the right track or if we're doing the right things, but um, you know, the, the scale isn't always so precise and it doesn't always um, change even when we're, we're doing what we need to be doing. Uh, sometimes, like you mentioned, uh, you know, hormones rebalancing uh, things can take time. And sometimes the, the scale might be stagnant, even though we're, we're doing what we need to be doing. So, you know, having some other, <clears throat> some other things that we can use to actually, um, you know, measure our, our progress in the long term and, and kind of understand if there is an underlying issue, even if, you know, maybe, maybe weight seems to be uh, where it should be, or, you know, it, it feels comfortable there, but at the same time, um, there, there's other things going on. A, an insulin sensitivity uh, measurement can can be um, uh, can highlight uh, certain things that can be helpful to know. Yeah, and that's why we kind of created this. It's subjective based, <clears throat> but on the backside, on page two, there's a couple of objective measures that you can take. And I want to unpack this. You know, transitioning from the benefit of discussing the increase in insulin sensitivity, which is the opposite of the resistance from that study. It's like, all right, well, I can't just go and get a fasted insulin test. And we know that tracking blood sugars is good, especially if you're a diabetic, to give you an idea of are you trending upwards or downwards in terms of your fasting blood sugar and your body's response to the foods you're eating. Um, But we can do better if we had that ability to have that the fasting insulin blood test done, but we can't, right? It's not just something we, there's no way to test insulin resistance at home. So the insulin resistance assessment is subjective information on, you know, things like, do you feel hungry immediately after, or a few hours after eating? If you miss a meal, do you feel irritable or fatigued or hangry? Do you tend to retain water with salty foods? Do you feel lethargic after a meal without caffeine cravings? You know, do you feel tired in the afternoon or early evening? Um, do you, you know, carry any extra weight around the midsection? That transitions into the, the second half of this assessment, which you guys can just click the link in the show notes. Do you have mood swings, which kind of be, seem to be related to eating carbohydrates or alcohol? Do you, have you been diagnosed with high blood sugar or prediabetes, blood pressure, um, cholesterol considerations, relatives and family history considerations? And then the last piece on here, is what the second half of the assessment addresses, which is the waist circumference and its indication and direct relationship to 
saying to, to showing that you may actually have some underlying insulin resistance that has not been diagnosed. Yeah, because, um, you know, that, that really gets at that visceral, that midsection fat that, that we know is the most dangerous type of fat that we carry with us and is also most highly correlated to insulin resistance. And so as, as insulin sensitivity comes back, as we get the weight off, as, that, as the waist circumference comes down, all of these things tend to follow along with it. They, they grow together, but they also shrink together um, as well. So this can be a, a good way to kind of keep a pulse on things as you're going mm-hmm. through your long-term fasting journey and you know, seeing how things improve over time. And this is one of the conversations too, is that BMI has correlations between a higher BMI and health issues, right? Long-term health problems. Right. So the waist circumference um, is one of the biggest things that we see in our challenges and our continuity group in that, that people will, will look at, you know, how else do I know I'm making progress, right? Clothes are fitting better. People are noticing you have more energy, you're sleeping better. Yeah. But the waist circumference measurements, people, some of these times will be like, yeah, I lost four inches in my waist over the course of two weeks. Right. Well, the second page of this shows you how waist circumference is an excellent proxy for overfilled fat cells. Like we talked about in the study where, where the glucose can be stored as fat, mm-hmm. right? When the insulin switch is turned off um, from fat burning. And it, it also looks at a, what's called a waist to height ratio that is a direct predictor of insulin resistance. So you can only have glucose um, or fat kind of being oxidized at one time, right? So our body's either going to store it or burn it. And we want to be able to track this progress over time. So the the second half of the, the insulin assessment is geared at showing you how to properly take a waist circumference measurement. And then that waist circumference measurement in and its indication in relationship to insulin resistance. And then one step farther, taking your waist circumference to height ratio. And you can simply, we'll put this, uh, um, uh, this is not in the actual assessment, but it's in the show notes. You can just click the link and it'll bring you to a calculator. You put in your measurements and it'll put you into a category of, hey, um, with your height to weight ratio, and then the score from the insulin assessment, you can get some other ways over the next six weeks, three months, six months, 12 months to really see if you're making progress um, in those long-term goals, which is getting the weight off and you know improving the health metrics over time. Yeah. And I, I really like what you can, what you can do with that information, because again, even if the scale isn't moving right now, but you're, you're creating clear boundaries. You're sticking to your fasting windows. You're eating good, nutritious food intentionally. It, it can be really good to see how other things are improving um, because those are, those are really important uh, for long-term positive relationships with food and understanding that we're, we're not always, you know, seeing differences in the scale, even when we're doing all the right things. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And it's, you value what you measure. You know, we say that a lot, like you value mm-hmm. what you measure, you know, what money's coming in every month and you know where it's going, you know, you're putting savings away for the vacation or the new couch or the down payment on the house or whatever it is, you, you value what you measure. So you track wow. that stuff incessantly, right? You know, right. Let's just say, yeah. um, because you really want to get to take the family, whatever it is, right. And when we're looking at our health metrics, other than going to get our yearly blood work, or, you know, if you are at the point where you have diabetes and you're checking your blood sugars more regularly, 
Um, that's great. But what we need to do is, is, is have more tangible ways to know that we're making progress in between those main checkpoints. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is you just kind of fall off in between. And if you don't have, and if you're not measuring things uh, in between or have those ability, that ability to really hone in on some specifics, I feel like that's why, you know, the, the weight loss uh, industry, I should say, is so volatile, right? You lose 10, you gain 15, you lose 18, yeah. you gain 15 back. Like we really want to give you some tools that you can have um, to know that you're making progress. Cause that's just going to keep you more committed to the plan long-term. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And, you know, I, I think taking a, a couple of the things that we talked about today and actually putting them into your fasting yep. plan overall is going to be a, a really good way to continue with that momentum. So like if you're already exercising, you're, you're doing deliberate exercising, um, try moving a few of those exercises to the afternoon time versus right. the, the morning time. See how you feel. Uh, you're likely to see a, a, a performance boost, insulin sensitivity boost when you need it later on in the day. Um, especially if you're used to, let's say doing a, a one meal a day dinner, like an OMAD dinner, um, mm -hmm. like, like a, we see a lot of people doing, um, especially after downloading the fast start guide, um, at, at the website, the fastingforlife.com. So, you know, just, just take a couple of the things, put them into your, your routine and, um, you know, see how your results are and, and let us know and, uh, download the insulin assessment as well. Yeah. I was just going to say there's, there's really, we, we, we really have two action steps today, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One is if you're new to fasting, go download the fast, like you said, the fast start guide. Um, but you can really just increase your results long-term results in terms of insulin sensitivity. Because again, the study clearly showed that peripheral sen insulin sensitivity in the skeletal muscle, the fat cells and the liver, um, as well as improvements in your, your blood glucose levels, right? So your, your blood sugar levels improved in that three to six window. So start working out or move the workout is, is action step. Number one, action step. Number two is get the fast start guide or the insulin assessment, uh, and really start to level up uh, your fasting game. So Tommy, appreciate your time, sir. I was super excited about this article. We get to start off with the men um, based off of the uh, the actual information from the study. We feel that it's able to say, you know what, this applies to most people. I know this study was, you know, in, in men with blood sugar issues. Right. Um, but I say, why not give it a shot and see how you feel? And that all comes down to the sustainability, right? So what's going to work for you long-term is going to be different from somebody else. But tried and true, fasting is an incredible way uh, to get the winds under your belt quickly, start feeling better, regain control, and end that simplicity, sir. So as always, thank you for the conversation, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. So you've heard today's episode, and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter, where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day -day life. While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life. Fasting for Life.